Hi, my name is Ernesto, and you are listening to Comments on the Catholic Faith Learned Through the Catechism podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Live Lasting Memories. This is the comments section, so if you're looking to only read the catechism, you may go to livelastingmemories.com, where you will find that podcast, plus your evangelization t-shirt that says, I'm Catholic, ask me anything. We are looking to learn more about the Catholic faith, how to apply these teachings to our daily life, and how to bring that message to others. Please subscribe to this podcast by clicking on subscribe. Today, we are talking about pages 13 through 18. Let's get started. Okay, so I was really taken back by the fact that the Catholic Church teaches that we're able to use reason alone to come to believe in God. That was a surprise to me because as I was growing up, I always thought that there was a bit of a leap of faith required to come to believe in God. Well, in these pages, it's going to explain how we can use just reason. So is there enough evidence in front of us so that we don't need this leap of faith? Interesting question, which I think deserves a good answer. So we are in part one, chapter one. These are the first pages of the catechism, and we're starting from scratch. So the approach here is that the catechism wants to explain why does man even say, I believe or we believe, before it goes on to explain what the church believes. So it first starts with how we come to believe in God, how we desire to have God. Why is it that we look for God for certain answers? And these pages are just packed with some fundamental truths about all of us and really shed light on why we need God and how we can come to know God. So here's how these pages are organized. The church explains how we were created, how we see that we are religious beings just by looking at our behaviors, and how can we get to know God. And even though that he is inexpressible, he is incomprehensible, he is ungraspable, how can we even speak about God? And so it begins with the human heart yearning for something. Something within man is missing. He goes out to search for it. The desire to fill that void is so deep-rooted in him that he begins to live what you would call a religious life. So much so that we may well call man a religious being with his prayers, his sacrifices, his rituals, meditations, and so forth. That's paragraph 28. Well, why is that? Why is it that we behave that way? Why are we so drawn to God? Paragraph 27 says, because the desire for God is written in the human heart. I almost feel like this is a good mic drop moment because there it is. We were created already with a desire to have God in our lives. It's in us. It's part of what makes us tick. But God doesn't create us that way and then walk away <laughs> just to laugh at our inability to comprehend this deep desire. No, 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 no. We're not left alone in the dark, empty inside, tripping over ourselves. This darkness is illuminated by God's superabundant light as we search for the ultimate meaning of our lives. That's paragraph 26. But if we are a religious being and God is written into our hearts and we can see it in our behaviors and God is there to help us, then why on earth don't we all believe in God? Well, this intimate and vital bond of man to God can be forgotten, overlooked, 
or even explicitly rejected. That's paragraph 29. It's like, what? Really? The meaning of our lives, the source of our happiness, the answer to filling that void in our lives is right in front of us and we forget it, overlook it, and flat out reject it? Well, the church explains that we can find God, but our senses, our imagination, and our disordered appetites, which are consequences of original sin, will lead us astray. Here's a simple idea that I think many of us, if not all of us, can relate to. Because of these disordered appetites, we can easily persuade ourselves that things we don't like, we just say, nah, they're not true. Or, you know, that's at least doubtful. Well, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can definitely relate to that. These disordered appetites are going to be discussed in greater detail later in the Catechism. For example, greed in Part 3, Section 2, Chapter 2, Article 10. But for now, let's just say that these disordered appetites lead us astray. It will make us hunger more and more for God. But rather than submitting to His will, we continue down this rabbit hole of sin. Now here's a quick aside. Bishop Barron has a great YouTube presentation discussing these disordered appetites. I'll leave that link in our site. So if we don't accept God into our lives, we continue to dig further into these disordered appetites as if we were thirsting, looking for water in a desert. You have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We are restless, and we'll continue to be restless, struggling, looking for something to fill that void, which only God can fill. Have you ever found yourself just restless? But he doesn't give up on us, and he continues to help us. Paragraph 38 says that God helps us in this search, not only in understanding things that are beyond our own comprehension, but even in the things regarding the truths and morals that we know to be true, but still need his help to confirm it. Okay, so he helps us. Great. How does he help us? Okay, well, here's the point that I was surprised to hear. We have two ways of coming to know God, by the world and by the human person. It didn't dawn on me that God gives us enough to come to believe in Him by merely the things that are around us. There's no need to stretch ourselves beyond reason. There's no leap of faith required. Believing in God does not oppose reason. And here the Catechism explains how. Paragraph 32, the world, starting with its movement, becoming, contingency, and the world's order and beauty, one can come to a knowledge of God as the origin and the end of the universe. In other words, we can get to know God just by looking around us. And I have had people in my life tell me, oh, just look at this world and oh, you can see God. Well, this would be it. The church also professes this truth. God is in nature, in its order, in its movement. We can come to know God by the order and beauty he has put into nature. Both of these quotes come from the Catechism. As St. Paul offers this to the Gentiles, God has revealed his invisible nature, in other words, his eternal power and deity, 
by the things that we can see, namely his creation. One last quote. This one comes from St. Augustine. St. Augustine issues this challenge. Question the beauty of the earth. Question the beauty of the sea. Question the beauty of the air distending and diffusing itself. Question the beauty of the sky. Question all these realities. All respond, we are beautiful. He explains that these are all beautiful, but that they change. There is only one that doesn't change, and he is the creator of those things that do change. I know, many would like to put science the existence of evil, why do bad things happen, plus many other arguments that would make this idea almost impossible to believe in. We will get to those things. <laughs> Just take this in for now. Regardless of what you may have heard or even believe at this point, faith is not opposed to reason. The Catechism explores and gives us more insight into these things, but for now, allow yourself or the person you're evangelizing to to take in this first step. Believing in God is not opposed to reason, and we can see the evidence in nature. And the other way of coming to know God is the human person, with his openness to truth and beauty, his sense of moral goodness, his freedom, and the voice of his conscience, with his longing for the infinite and for happiness. Man takes that step into questioning himself about God's existence. In other words, the way you are, your freedom, your moral goodness, your conscience, all of these things put God at the front doorstep of your heart. You have a soul in which cannot come from the material. This soul yearns for God and can only have its origin in God. He who is invisible and created your soul is the same as the creator of the visible who created your body. I'll say that again. He who is invisible and created your soul is the same creator of the visible who created your body. Man is looking for ways to explain the beginning and the end, but knows that he himself is neither. Paragraph 34 says that we are neither the first principle nor the final end. So, he can come to know God by accepting that there is a beginning and an end, and this reality is the one that we call God. Okay, so God exists. That's a good place to start. But our next step is to have a real intimate relationship with Him. God gives us the grace to do that, and our response to God is faith. Last point here is that how can we speak about God? In paragraph 40 says, since our knowledge of God is limited, our language about him is equally so. So what do we do? If he is the inexpressible, the incomprehensible, the invisible, the ungraspable, then how on earth do we talk about him? Well, we start by looking at ourselves because we are created in the image and likeness of God. So we can talk about God by looking at his creatures' perfections, such as their truth, their goodness, their beauty, because they all reflect the infinite perfection of God. But here, we're talking about perfection, so it's impossible to express who God is without purifying our own thoughts and words. When we try to pigeonhole God, 
we fall way short. But even though we must see God as the inexpressible, we must still speak about him. We must recognize that we are using human expression to describe God. So it will fall way short. Now we can draw similarities between us, the creature, and God, the creator. It's a start. But none of these similarities can be made without expressing the greater dissimilarity. For example, I like to tell my children that God the Father is much like the love that I have for them as their father, always looking out for their well-being, giving them what they need, loving them, spending time with them, and so on. But my love for them does not compare in the least bit to the love that God has for them, for us. So I can draw the similitude, but I must include the greater dissimilitude. As God is perfect, I'm too far from it. And here's the kicker. The chapter, <laughs> the chapter ends with a bit of a mysterious but beautiful thought. Paragraph 43. Concerning God, we cannot grasp what he is, but only what he is not, and how other beings stand in relation to him. So pretty much as we're drawing these similarities and dissimilarities, we can look at God in his infinite perfection by realizing that we can't grasp who he really is. Take that as our start and realize that there's greater dissimilarities between us and the creator, that we can stand in relation to him by recognizing the gigantic differences between us. Okay, one last thing. The in brief, which is summarizes what the section was about, mentions one more thing worth noting, that without the creator, the creature vanishes. Okay, what is that to us? That means that we must bring the light of God to those who don't believe in him or reject him. As the prologue mentions, we are all called to deliver God's message. And considering we have the foundation of reason, we can start that dialogue with all people all men and women with different religions, with philosophies and sciences, as well as with unbelievers and atheists. Okay, thank you for joining us today. Can't wait to continue on this journey with you. I will pray for you that you always be ready and willing to do God's will. See you next time.